Today's episode of the 10 and 2 podcast is supported by Fierce Watch Company and the Fierce Brunswick Salmon. The wait is finally over, and for the first time since its incredibly popular debut last summer, the Fierce Brunswick Salmon is in stock and available for purchase without a wait list. We've spoken about this timepiece many times since its premiere almost a year ago, and there's just something incredibly special about the salmon dial. Fierce combines both 18 karat rose gold and copper to create a rich and warm tone that looks great on every wrist. And the fact that every dial is vertically brushed by hand, you get a watch that has as much personality and uniqueness as the wearer itself. The 38mm cushion shaped case offers just as much personality as the dial. With not a single flat surface to be found on the Brunswick collection, the curves of the case wrap smoothly along the wrist, wearing comfortably for any occasion. While the Brunswick salmon is available on the Fierce Bristol black leather strap, we encourage you to explore their other handmade straps or even look into something custom made by the brand as the salmon is quite versatile and an unexpected strap monster. Head over to www.fearswatches.com to explore the Brunswick salmon for yourself and take advantage of the fact that they're back in stock. You can also find information about the Fierce Brunswick collection and stay up to date with what's coming next. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 10 and 2 podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Kat. And we're here every week talking watches, photography, adventure, and exploring the world of watches and beyond. And beyond. And beyond. We are, we did go beyond today. We went beyond with with Alan Formello from Beyond the Dial. Um, yeah, I just randomly thought about that. I was trying to be funny. It's, it wasn't <laughs> it's really funny. Fine. It's fine. It wasn't funny. You can say so. <laughs> it's fine. I, I chuckled a little bit. I, I participated in the... That was, was like a dad yeah. joke. That was a total dad I'm joke. I'm down for dad jokes. <laughs> dad jokes are wild. I feel like our audience is very down for dad jokes. Yeah, they. I think they are. They're. They're like that kind of like they like that humor for yeah, sure. Yeah, 100%. And like let's it. be honest, like I feel like our audience is a lot of a lot of dads. <laughs> There's a lot of dads. There's a lot of a lot of grilling, a lot of tongue checking, <laughs> a lot of like white sneaker and like too high a socks. Love you guys. Yeah. Um <laughs> well we we had an awesome episode today with Alan. Um you guys know him from Beyond the Dial. He has done work with Worn and Wound in the past and Gear Patrol. He's a, a watch journalist. And, you know, he's kind of been, been in this industry for, what did you say, 30 years? 30 years, which was yeah. so surprising. Yeah, it's crazy. And um, just a f- phenomenal person and just, like, has so much insight and also incredibly funny. Yeah, like, I know this is a long episode, guys, <laughs> but it was so funny. It was. So Yeah, funny. he's a great guy. And um, so recently they had the um, the Alstom Motoscape come out. And it's a watch they've collaborated with him and Beyond the Dial for. We'll put links in our show notes for this watch. But it's incredibly cool. If you're a motorcycle fan uh, or racing in general, you're going you're mm-hmm. to love this piece. They've... Uh, we're gracious enough to send us a copy that we we just got today, so yeah. we're excited to to play around with it and check it out. But it does it looks really cool, and and I'm excited about um, this little collab that they've done. Beyond the dial, you know, I I said before I um, in the interview that I came to know Alan from the Worn and Wound podcast, right. and so he was kind of one of those first few gateway people into the industry that I was listening to mm-hmm. before. I think, it, you know, I don't feel like there was as many voices out there at the time. You know, it was Houdinki, it was Worn and Wound, and 
like that was yeah that <laughs> pretty was much it, it. That, was the podcast <laughs> that was that was yeah. that was it now we have a lot more including us two crazy people um but uh yeah he, he's an incredibly nice guy and i i thought we had so much fun on this interview and apparently he's coming to nashville and we're going disco dancing and disco dancing we're jumping off of cliffs <laughs> into to test the water resistance of a vintage date just or a vintage op and bets were made my speed master bets were made so um, um and then what oh i think we're we're riding motorcycles no after. i didn't agree to that okay i, I think, didn't agree <laughs> <laughs> guys if this was such a fun episode we hope you really enjoy it um there's a lot of laughs there's a lot there's a lot of great insights and mm-hmm. and just some different ideas about watch journalism things like that that were really really interesting so yeah. um be sure if you enjoy the episode leave us feedback let us know what you think yeah well, welcome, Alan, to our podcast. We are so happy that you're here with us today. Um, I'm actually a longtime fan, so I, I, when I first got into the hobby, I became familiar with you through the Worn and Wound podcast, and also I'm a huge Gear Patrol fan, and I know that you've you've written several times for them, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan, so I'm glad that you're here today with us. Well, thank you for having me, and I want to say, first of all, congratulations. I believe today is two years. It is. Yep. It is two years for us, yeah. And I want to say that's two years of diversity in the watch space that wasn't there before because you are of the other gender. And thank you for being part of that. We need more women, as you know. Yeah. And we we need more diversity generally. And I want to just say that it's not about counting how many people of color or whatever it is you got. It's about having a diversity of perspectives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not about counting how, oh, did we get a quota of, you know, humans from all these different places. But like you guys bring a different perspective because you are not dudes. And there's so (laughs) many dudes. Like if I hear myself, I'm even like, God, I just go get like transgender because like (laughs) I got to bring diversity to this. And I'm like another white, straight, mild guy. Like, you know, it's like, so thank you for doing it and and becoming a voice uh, in the watch space and not just being off to the side or being sort of like, oh, we have a woman. She writes once every three months or, you know what I mean? Like you guys are, you're, you're doing it and it's wonderful. And I I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you. That's very sweet. Yeah. I I think when we, we first jumped into it, there wasn't really a lot of um, voices out there. There was women in the hobby, but their voices weren't really being heard. And, and now that is changing and and it's incredible to see more and more women coming out and doing some, some great things. So um, yeah, it's, I, I hope that we are able to be more diverse eventually. And uh, I love hearing from all different perspectives in the hobby and, and uh, something I'm excited to hear about you because you, you so me and Catelyn have only been in this hobby for like know, four, three, yeah. four years, but you've been in it for what? 25, 30 years. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah. 30 years of like consider. Let me put it this way. I started buying the books about collecting about 30 years ago. Wow. Man. But by the time I bought them, I, I'm 51, 50, 51. So right around when I was 19 or 20, I didn't go to college right away. And I was kind of just working and I had a little bit of money finally. And I just started buying a lot of watches then. And I was like, I don't even know what I have. And I bought the books, right? They were they sold. They looked like phone books. They were oh, wow. printed on <laughs> like crap. Like they were just reference books. They right. just cra- My brother still has a lot of them. I don't know where mine are, but they got lost in a move. I don't know. 
some years ago, but my brother still has his, but they look like phone books and they're really inelegant. They're just like shitty black and white photos on that crappy phone book, pulpy paper that you can kind yeah. of poke your finger through. <laughs> but you can find out that like, whoa, that lawn jeans was made in 1947. And this one, you know, and there's, and it, I don't even know who it's like the hobby was so scrappy and new yeah. in the eighties and nineties that it was really not until the eighties that people considered wristwatch collecting even a thing. It was, yeah. They weren't that old. They were only just, you know, they re really, the wristwatch started with the tank in what, 1919 or something. So yeah. by the time I was born in 1970, the wristwatch was 50 years old. Yeah. That's not that old for mm -hmm. a right. thing, right? And so most of them were recently made. And by the time I was 20, now the wristwatch is 70 years old and now people are starting to collect them and now there's magazines and, you know, it took a while for it to become a hobby actually yeah. at all. It was just stuff. You know, yeah. um, I don't think people collected like, you know, vintage telephones when they were new either. Right. But <laughs> yeah. now everyone's like, look at this plastic push button phone from 74. And I'm like, yeah, I had that phone. I I, I wore it out. And yeah. now it's 150 bucks at some stupid hipster store. But it's yeah. like, wow. So I, I kind of aged. I, I was born at an interesting time for being a wristwatch collector. And yeah. I caught the wave really early just because I was kind of a weirdo. Um, yeah. But I actually got my first watch when I was seven from my dad, which is a little Timex dive watch. I've got a, I've got a version of it. I don't have the actual one. Okay. Um, the actual one I swapped for, I believe I swapped it for like a cap gun or something dumb. <laughs> very, like, very important things. I can tell you <laughs> I sorry. lost out. Yeah. I, I, no, I traded it for like a toy, like an evil Knievel motorcycle. I don't know what I traded it for, but. I traded it with somebody in my neighborhood and they got the way better end of the deal. I can tell you that. And and the fact that I traded it is odd, but I had gotten a new watch. And yeah. so I was like, oh, that's an old watch. But that watch was so cool. It's like a gorgeous little tiny little like ladies watch size thing. It's a boy's diver. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it looks like a Doxa. It's got like orange blocky markers. Oh, fun. And funky numerals like the Oris Diver 65, the original one. Okay. Rotating bezel. My dad showed me how to use it. The whole idea was that I would finally come home on time, but it didn't work. <laughs> it still was always it, late. If but. you couldn't come home when the streetlights came on, I, I doubt a dive bezel would have really helped you too much. No, but you know, the, the thing was that we lived in the summers at the beach up in Canada. I lived, grew up in Buffalo and we'd go to the beach and there were no streetlights and it was light out till 9.30 in August or oh, whatever. I forget about that up north. Up here in the north, it's down amazing. in the south, it's the same time every day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's at 7.30, that's it. I'm break into my shitty uh, southern <laughs> accent here and there, sorry. We love it. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time down there. I probably sound like some person from West Virginia and you're like, ah, oh, it's awful. But anyways, uh, it's a true story that like my dad was like, he doesn't come home and like, I didn't even come home for dinner and they, I wouldn't never be that far. I could even hear my parents calling me and I just chose to ignore them because I was up to something. <laughs> so he got me this watch. He's like, now you have no excuse. You have to use the watch. And the, the timing bezel didn't really help with anything. He just showed me how to use it. But I thought that was cool. And what I used it for is to see how long the loom lasted in the dark. Oh, man. Oh, nice. That's awesome. I don't think fun. anyone realizes that you can use your timing bezel to test your loom poignancy. I've never thought of that. Everybody now does. 
That's the only thing it's useful for, right? Like, yeah. You use dive computers, so just check how long your lube lasts with your diving bezel. That's you so- might have to set it to hours with super luminova, <laughs> but like the tritium, it was like, oh, wow, 15 minutes. That's yeah, awesome. That's very cool. <laughs> that's going to be my the new job for my my speedy light tomorrow when I get home. I'm going to start the chronograph once I turn off the light. And yeah. See. Yeah. That's, that's funny. It. Yeah. That's it. That's hilarious. Well, that's really cool. I mean, and did you aspire to, I mean, were you, to be in watches eventually or, or was it just to be a journalist or, you know, how did you, how did you come into this industry? It's a interesting question. I have always been a writer of some sort. I was in academia for a while and published there. And I wrote for newspapers for a while in my twenties, mostly like left-wing ridiculous political rants about how the United States was falling apart. (laughs) Once again, a little, once again, a little ahead of the curve. But, you know, um, now everything I wrote is like what they talk about in the mainstream news, but that was a long time ago. And then I started, um, I started writing. I, I, I am a lifelong musician, and I yeah. entered the music industry as an engineer at first. Well, really, as a studio rat, which means I like hung around the studio and did like I just ran drugs for rock stars, basically, and then. <laughs> It, that and a couple other things like cleaning uh, toilets and such. But then, <laughs> then I became an engineer and then I became a producer and I had this career for a couple decades in the music industry, um, which is what brought me to New York and Toronto and other places. But then I burnt right out. I just totally burnt out about seven, eight years ago and I made a midlife career pivot. Okay. But I was already a journalist. So while I was in the music industry, I'd been writing a lot about... Uh, recording equipment and the history of it. And it's gorgeous things. Like I could tell you all about the types of things the Beatles used to record and they're all handmade in Germany and Switzerland. And, you know, my tape machine that I had, which is now in Nashville, actually, um, is a Studer, not related to Rolf Studer that I'm aware, though I always mean to ask him that. (laughs) But Studer is like a, it's, I used to call it my giant Rolex because it was just a huge giant mechanical device that spun tapes very, very consistently oh, wow. and perfectly. And it's cool. Like you open that up. I knew how to work on it and take it apart and do all that. Fix the brakes are always breaking and, uh, <laughs> and, or not breaking as the case may be. And it, it was so the writing about that stuff in the recording world for the big trade magazines. And I was, I kind of became one of the more frequent, contributors to the bigger trade magazines in the music industry uh, was writing about the intersection of technology and aesthetics. And that's yeah. exactly what writing about watches is. But anyways, right. I, I just was done with music. I'm like, I, I've, I've had it. I don't even know how to, I, I'm not even sure why. I was just done. Like wow. I had, I really just didn't have anything left to say. I think I made a few records that I was like, oh my God, I made that sound I heard in my head when I was five or whatever. Uh-huh. It took me 45 years to get there. And then <laughs> I was, I, I really didn't feel like doing it again. I'd kind of climbed the mountain. I didn't oh, wow. really want to climb another one. It's a lot of work. And also it just, you know, the music industry's tanking, like Spotify killed it in yeah. streaming and from on the recording side. So now everyone mm-hmm. makes their money in other aspects of the music industry, right. t-shirts, concert sales, that kind of thing. So I just bailed. Yeah. I was like, I'm not getting paid enough to do this hard, hard work to make these things that I already know I can do. So I, I got burnt. Anyways, long story short, I hired a career counselor. She said, well, you like the writing, but so just keep doing that. And I said, I don't want to be in the music. She, she said, well, what are you passionate about? And I'm like, watches. 
And she said, well, you could become a watch writer. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> That's not a thing. That's I would have loved to have seen her reaction when you said you were passionate about watches, though. Because she didn't miss a beat. She we were on video just like this. And she was like, okay, then write about watches. Like a good therapist. <laughs> like they just they they tend to dream on your behalf and yeah. then they send you off and they're like, it'll be awesome. Go that way. Yeah. You're like, there's like barbed wire and armies and stuff that way. They're like, no, those Follow are your challenges. dream. It's okay. It's your dream. Self-actualize. <laughs> Don't worry about everything. And that's their job. And it did work. And I, and within, I don't know, a handful of months, I was working for Warren and Wound. That's um, crazy. But I already had the journalism chops. I kind of knew how yeah. that worked. So yeah. That's amazing. Just, yeah, it, it, it was amazing to make a successful career pivot, you know? Yeah. I was like, wow, it worked? Oh, wow. Okay. And then you start to think maybe your therapist was right. She was, you should follow your heart and dreams. And I've... I, Look, I've always followed my heart and my dreams. Uh, you know, I'd be a wash in Patek Philippe's otherwise, but it just uh, seemed to always find that skipping along economically, but loving what I do. So I, I'm really happy in this position. Well, that's it's fantastic. Great. Yeah. yeah. I, you yeah. know, I, I hear that story from a lot of, I mean, being here in Nashville, we have a lot of people in the music industry and how many people are leaving and are fed up. And and I, I've always wondered if it is because of the way like this modern day, everybody just streams everything. And I've always been curious you know, how artists are making their money now because everything is on Spotify. Everybody's on, you know, Apple Music, all these other streaming. Mm -hmm. People are not buying CDs. People aren't buying tapes. People aren't buying records. And yeah, I guess I, I, I mean, I, I guess could, that's, I, yeah. could, I could break it down for you. Yeah. But basically, the merch and all that kind of other stuff you, you, you mentioned. Yeah, there's the four okay. pillars. There, there, there's record sales. And that used to be the big earner, but now mm -hmm. it doesn't earn anything. It's the lost leader. Okay. I don't even think you two made money on their last record. And I'm not exaggerating. Wow. And, um, and then you've got ticket sales. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, you paid like 10 bucks to go see David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. Right. No I, I did. I paid yeah, like 600. <laughs> my, yeah, exactly. My first concert was $13 and 50 cents to go see David Bowie. That's crazy. Like I paid more for a slice of pizza. It's crazy. So now of course, going seeing an artist on that level is, you know, it can be a thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Easily. like. But then records were back then like $10 and now they're free. And yeah. so that those pillars totally, one yeah. fell over and the other one got really strong. And then you have merch. So it's t-shirts and all the other business that goes with it. And the record industry being the part that does the recording and all of that is just tap for money. You yeah. know, it really is. And it's hurt. And there's technology too, like the home studios and everyone's an engineer and a producer all of a sudden because they bought a laptop with Pro Tools on it. And they're like, hey, guess what? I'm a producer too. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not because you don't know what you're doing. Like, you know, I mean, I can go out and I have a really, really high-end camera yeah, and I can shoot video and I have editing software. I'm a filmmaker. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know shit about making movies. Like, it's just absurd. So there's not only been... Uh, sort of devaluing of the thing itself, but it's sort of, you can't compete with free. And everybody's yeah, like, right. I just want to get my feet wet, so I'll do it for free. And, mm -hmm. you know, that was pretty much, it, 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 another reason I quit is I spent a lot of time fixing people's messes mm. and saying, you should have just come to me in the first place. But yeah. now you have a bunch of shitty stuff recorded in your friend's bedroom. Yeah. And I'm trying to make it into something. That's not fun. 
And yeah. I was working on computers all the time. I used to work in an analog dream world. I was in the coolest spaceship in the world. And all the spaceship did was travel to outer sound. It was wonderful. Oh, wow. Knobs <laughs> and lights and drugs and people and like music. And it was amazing. And then it's like, okay, Ellen, go in your bedroom with your laptop by yourself and use a mouse. Yeah. And that became the job. And people are like, it's so cool. I can mix a track on an airplane. I'm like, I hope you're in first class, buddy, because that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know? And so I re it just wasn't the same gig yeah. I got into. That's a part of the problem of having been born in the analog era and mm -hmm. then now having to adapt to the digital era. I mean, every generation has to go through something, right? Yeah. But this one sucks. This yeah. one sucks. Like my dad's generation, they were like, oh, wow, we get automatic transmissions in our cars and air conditioning and refrigerators. Like yeah. these are all really great things. And I was like, I get to say goodbye to all of this glorious 20th century technology that yeah, everyone's yeah. abandoning because we can recreate it with zeros and ones on a computer. And mm -hmm. I'm like, and now all we do is throw the computers in the trash every three years or whatever. So I just didn't like what was going on. And wristwatches offered me an opportunity to turn back to the 20th century technology. Yeah. And it didn't get disrupted. I mean, the quartz crisis happened, but it was kind of a blip on the radar of watchmaking, really, because when the revival of mechanical watches happened in the 80s and 90s, when I was getting into it, mm -hmm. I mean, Jean-Claude Biver was basically yelling in my ear for about 10 years there going, mechanical, mechanical watches are the only thing that really matters. And I'm like 18 and I'm like, that's right. I tell you, the only thing that matters and I'm going to the Salvation Army and getting more. And it was like, that's what happened. And I, when I got to this point in my music career where I was like, this sucks. It's like me and a freaking, I remember one, at one point I was mixing on an iPad. I was like, this is getting smaller and worse. Oh my and, God. and I just thought I, I, I'm done. And I couldn't convince people. Like I had a big, beautiful console, which is also in Nashville now. Oh, wow. Everything went to, everything went to Nashville. To my two <laughs> lovely friends, Piper and Catherine, have all my stuff, and I'm trying to sell them motorcycles too, but it didn't work out. But it's um, they own one of my old cars. Like they're funny. They they moved to Nashville not too long ago, and so all my stuff's down there. But Nashville's a place where people still value recording, and there's still mm -hmm. money. Yeah, you know. And I come down there and visit some of my friends in the studios. I'm like, oh, these are the cathedrals to analog technology that need to happen. But it's like. You know, it's like really wealthy artists often backing those yeah. studios yeah. instead of like, they're not necessarily commercially viable places. Mm -hmm. They're more like museums that really successful people get to play with, Yeah, you know? So yeah, and that's a, a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, imagine if all watches could be digitized and given away online and everyone was happy with that. Yeah. You know, I mean, in a way that happened, right? But it's, it's... Yeah, the, I mean, the, everybody's the, happy with their iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sure. the, yeah, it's crazy. Well, they think they're happy. Yeah. They're actually losing their presence in the three-dimensional world, but that's a different story. But I just, <laughs> I feel like the, that, that mechanical three-dimensional world is what I wanted to be in. And so yeah. watches were my little solution to that. I yeah. was like, okay, it's not huge. It doesn't weigh 700 pounds and break through the floor of your dumb old house, but it's... <laughs> mechanical and wonderful and I love them so much easier to transport so there are perks yes yes and you can own a lot of them and just have a little box it's really handy yeah. <laughs> and little, when they break they're still beautiful yeah, yeah exactly. they still look pretty it's yeah, yeah it's still right twice a day right so. <laughs> well that's that's very interesting and yeah I had no idea um 
But you know, we we have a special watch that we're going to talk about today with you. But before we do, I I kind of want to get into a little bit of, you know, we talked about how you kind of came into the watch world, but like, what does your collection look like? What are you drawn to aesthetically um, in watches? Because this watch is is really cool that we're going to talk about, and so I want to know what what draws you to pieces. What what catches your eye? I, well, I can't afford the things that truly catch my eye because I feel that. I, I, think, yeah. I think that's the most relatable comment ever made on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Because if it, it truthfully, it, what really catches my eye are like one-off Cartier tanks from the 1950s that were made in New York city's lab. And, uh, Patek Philippe Calatrava 565s that I can't afford because they're freaking $45,000 now and I'm kicking myself for not buying them when they were $3,500 when I was younger. But $3,500 when I was younger was like... A lot. A whole lot yeah. of money. That was down payment on a house in Buffalo. Wow. I'm not exaggerating. Jeez. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, b- b- Buffalo. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's <laughs> probably the most depressed housing market in the planet. But, you know, it's like... I just couldn't do it. So I'm very, very drawn to these iconic, classic, early Bauhaus-y, Art Deco-y designs that have persisted, like the tank, right? Like the tank is Art Deco masterpiece, and it really just, they, they've they changed it immensely and made a million versions of it, but it's essentially the same goddamn rectangle. Yeah. And it's Gorgeous. Oh my God. I own a couple tanks and I just, I can't get enough of those. And then Patek Calatravas to me are because they made it first. And because I came up when I did through watches, I, I understand the Calatrava to be the Calatrava, even though everyone's talking about, Oh, get a longa Saxonia or get a this or get a that it's better. And Mm -hmm. you know, Patek didn't make their movement bigger, just the case. And now the subdials in the wrong place. And I'm like, guys, Shut up. It's a Patek Calatrava. Like, come on, right? And so, and and you can show me a million perfect imitations of the Patek Calatrava, but if it doesn't say Patek Philippe on it, nice and small and tight right up there, I don't mm-hmm. love it. So yeah. I have this affinity for certain brands and certain models from history because they were like blasted at me through my collecting habit in the 80s and 90s, really, yeah. before everyone was making a gazillion things, right? So... I'm really like if if someone said, Alan, money's no limit. What are you going to collect? I would start amassing um, Cartier tanks with all the various kinds of bracelets they made. Oh, yeah. Because I actually think the tank is gorgeous. But my God, the bracelets on those old Cartiers are sumptuous and amazing accomplishments made by hand, like a gazillion links. And, you know, they came up with the beads of rice thing, but that's just one of like maybe 75 different types of mesh bracelets that they made. Mm -hmm. Because they were jewelers. They knew how to make them. And then I would I would have every available Patek 565 there is, and I would just have all of them. And if anyone ever wanted to see one, they would have to come to my house because I would have all of them if I had all the money. <laughs> I would just buy them all. They're not that many. No, I could just get like them all. one of each. Like you would just have all of all of them ever. And some jerk wouldn't want to sell it to me. And I just trade him a 911 or something for it. <laughs> oh my God, a Porsche. Like, you can have that thing. It doesn't work. You know, I'll take the deck. So I don't know. I, I I love those things. But then in terms, of, but, but then I also am absolutely in love with like 70s divers mm-hmm. because that's what I got when I was little. And you, yeah. I think you really love things you imprint on when you're an adolescent and when yeah. you're young. And that's partly why vintage stuff is perpetually 
popular because yeah. I don't know how old you guys are, but you certainly don't look as old as me. And when, <laughs> and when you get to this age, you suddenly realize you're sort of stuck a little bit, you know, because your tastes aren't going to evolve that much. It's just like the brain isn't going to develop that many new neural pathways. So when you see something and you've imprinted on it and baked it in, that's kind of what you're going to like. And that's why I think traditional styles persist. And the other problem is that I think a lot of watch design really started to suck really hard in the 80s and 90s. It was yeah. like it really shifted from these kind of beautiful, elegant things that were fancy, but not really ostentatious, I wouldn't say. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were ostentatious watches, but like my mom's little tiny Bulova with diamonds would yeah. be considered ostentatious, but it was like you could probably, you could hardly see it. Right. You know, and my dad's watches were just small and it wasn't about wrist presence and mm -hmm. like making a show of it. And then I think in the 80s, you started to see the preppy set kind of rock and rollies, right? And, mm -hmm. the, and then Rolex was like, oh my God, our, our sport model watches are fancy now. We'll make them out of gold and we'll make yeah. them out of this or that. <laughs> and, and then we'll put diamonds on them. And now you got rainbow Daytonas. I mean, the Daytona was a crappy third-party movement chronograph that Hans Wilsdorf begrudgingly made. And now it's like got <laughs> rainbow jewels on it. Everyone's like, oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, like, like, I just don't have that I just, but it's not to say I don't love big, mm -hmm. loud watches. Sometimes yeah. I do, but I really right around the 80s, late, not late, really in the 90s is when I started to kind of gag on modern watch design when everything got really big. And, you know, I have to blame my fellow countrymen at Panerai for Cy Stallone going like, oh, Panerai, it's huge. Get one. <laughs> Forget about the fascism. This thing is cool. And I'm like, really? Like, I love, and I love Panerai's. I yeah. really, really, as, as an object, I really love it. Yeah. But the, the bravado that came with owning and wearing one back then, and it mm -hmm. led to this, like, you, know, you go to the mall, and I was like, is that a clock or a watch? Jesus. Back Lord, then, I mean, that's still, still like that now to me. Um, oh, no, I know. It's still, it's still there. But now, now I feel like we have a multiplicity of sizes and styles. Yeah, like, it's, it's like we're truly now. in the... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, we're it's in the postmodern era. You can do anything. You can make anything and and make up a story about it, and it'll it'll sell to somebody. You yeah, know? it's like trends are sort of funny these days. Everyone's like watches are getting smaller. I'm like, well, some of them are. Yeah, you know, <laughs> a few of them are, and like we hipsters in the watch journalism space tend to focus on those. But yeah. the reality is, if you talk to most major watch manufacturers, and I've talked to a few, it. it they sell giant watches mostly to men and little mm -hmm. watches mostly to women. And it's yeah. not changed that much. But yeah. but now there's all these side hustles, right? Like mm -hmm. check out this heritage thing and look at this tiny little yeah. diver we made. And here's a weird freaking Timex that's military style from Todd Snyder. And there's this and that. And like th th you can scratch any itch mm -hmm. today. Yeah. You, know, you don't have to wait 10 years for styles to change like you used to. So, um so, yeah, you asked me what catches my eye. And then I would say that there's that ineffable, ineffable aesthetic appeal of certain things that I don't even know how to describe. In the yeah. music industry, people say, like, what 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 kind of records do you like? And I'd say, orange. <laughs> and then people are like, what are you, what the fuck? Why are you being an asshole? And I was like, I'm not. I really, like, have a little bit of synesthesia. And when I hear certain recordings, mm -hmm. they will sound like a certain color. And if they're cold tones like blues and grays i yeah. really hate it 
Yeah. I really hate, I can't, I cannot listen to Metallica. Mm. Even though I think their music's amazing, their records are gray and blue in my sort of synesthetic head. Okay. And I can't listen. But, uh, but when I listen to every single thing that Grateful Dead ever did is bright orange to me. It's beautiful and emanating. It's like a, it's like a Moser Fume dial to me and it just sucks Ooh. me into its universe. <laughs> I like that. Whereas I feel like Metallica is like this gray royal oak and steel and I'm like, nah, I don't find an entryway. Yeah. And so I, so it's a similar thing with watches where there's, a, there's sort of this ineffable, ineffable thing that I can't say what turns me on and what doesn't. Yeah. I can tell you what does. I can say this watch does, this watch does. But what is common between them is a feeling I get inside. Mm -hmm. It's a subjective, it's like a buzz. Yeah. I only can say it's like, oh, I love that food or I love that painting or I love that color and I love that watch. But if you say like, why do you love that painting? I'm like, because it's nice. Like I don't have the vocabulary to describe yeah. my subjective experience. Yeah. But I can tell you that I like watches that aren't, I don't really like orange watches, but if they have that orangey warm quality to them, somehow I'm drawn to it. And it's hard to describe yeah, I get why it. that is. I get it. Like, why do I like a Noguchi coffee table? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, apparently it was like a naked woman with her legs bent that made it. But I didn't know that when I liked it. I just yeah. liked it. Like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I have no idea. I like dark wood instead of light wood. I like mm -hmm. sailboats more than powerboats. I have no idea why. Yeah. You know, I, and I think it's okay not to know. Yeah. I, I yeah. just want to say, to, you know, I want to say to everyone, like, if you don't really know why you like something, you don't have to defend it. Yeah. If someone challenges your taste, just flip them off and move on. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. And I might be wrong. I mean, I hate it tomorrow. Who cares? Yeah. Like, yeah. don't get yeah. all worked up about it. So I, I, I really feel like it's a subjective thing that, that, if you really drill down into our tastes, what's there is some neurons firing and telling your hypothalamus to send dopamine out to your brain receptors yeah. and the parts of your body. It's like, it's practically sex. And it's like, that's really personal and really specific. And I don't ever want to have to explain to somebody why I'm attracted to my partner, <laughs> Shelly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like that's not your business. So I sometimes feel sort of private about it. Like I don't want to talk about it because I flop on my face a little bit and end up in these screeds about phenomenology and subjective <laughs> psychological experiences. <laughs> well, we won't but, go there today. <laughs> but can I also just list some more watches that are in my collection that I think are fantastic? Yeah. 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 I know you have some amazing pieces. Yeah. I have some good stuff. I, I just got this vintage 60s Aquastar. It's oh, a 37 wow. nice. You can say I have it on a, on a bunt cake strap and it's, um, I keep putting the T on spell correct changes it. And I, I'm like, I just leave it half the time because it cracks me Watches up. are a real struggle when it comes to like autocorrects. Like it, it's kidding? a problem. Yeah. I sound so oh, yeah. stupid all the time. I have to check Instagram captions a thousand times. I'm just, I don't, I don't get it. Like you should know me by now. Thank God you can edit the Instagram things because yeah. I pretty much I've I don't see it till I hit publish. Yeah. Like going to print frightens me. Because <laughs> like even at a big magazine like Gear Patrol or Watch Time, if it's going online, I just read through it when they publish it. And I'm like, all right, I found five more typos and I said the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. Man. I don't know why that is. It's like not until you walk out into the room in your tuxedo and they shine the light on you do you finally realize your fly is down. It's like <laughs> 
oh my God. Like, and you don't realize that somebody else points it out for you. That's yeah. that's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, there's some Boys. shiny metal down in the area there, buddy. Uh, ooh, your fly's open. Okay. Sorry, I'm doing the Southern accent thing. Don't be offended. I loved it. Oh, I love it. I love it. You do? I could do the whole thing like this. No, I don't want to do that. But. God, I miss Nashville. And, uh, yeah. So anyways, the Aquastar is like a pretty recent acquisition, but I can tell I'm not going to get rid of it. I know nice. a keeper lately. I, I, all my friends are going to be like, he's bullshitting again. Because <laughs> I will be sell things sometimes. Groovy. Yeah, but also, I have a, a 1972 date dress that I bought in Nashville. Oh, really? At, what's that place called? The the hotel down... Uh, no, uh, Lolita, no, no, Lolita, 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 Lolita. Noel. Noel, Thank yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That hotel has like a gift shop in it, right? Mm-hmm. They have a small shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a small little gift shop. Yeah. Okay, so I, I've told this story before. The short version is I got really screwed up in Nashville. Like, like <laughs> you guys have does. some amazing freaking <laughs> dance clubs. Let me tell you. The honky tonks, like, yeah. You guys are in the South, and the South has a bad rap, right? Because of the Civil War and all that slavery stuff. But let me tell you something. That was the most diverse night out I've ever had in my life. Nashville has it going on. I went to basically, it was like, it was disco. Mm -hmm. And everybody had on the most amazing clothes, except for me. (laughs) And I mean, women had on like form-fitting sequined things, which could only have been custom made for them. This is also, this is a totally different Nashville, I feel like, than like our Broadway. When was this? I got to find out the name of the club. It was Awesome. It when was, was like, this? When were you here? Or uh, when, when when did this take place? Like three, four years ago. Wait, oh, okay. what? Wow. Yeah, yes. you guys, you I'm going to come down there. You have to find out the once, name of the club so that we can go. Yeah, once the South decides vaccines are good, I'm going to come yeah. down there. <laughs> good luck. And, yeah, I know. I know. And I'm going to come down there and we're going to go to this club together okay. and wear fucking dope watches and we're going to hang out and just dance and we got to you guys I don't know what you like to wear but I'm going to wear some fucking disco clothes like I was so not dressed I'm right. all down da- like, I'm yeah, down for we, this disco like, yeah. we never get dressed up so no. let's do it oh I'll take you out in Nashville I'll show you some things <laughs> go take us out in our city thank you yeah and then you come to New York and show me how it's done because when you live somewhere you never really use it right no. like, well you go to the same places all the yeah. time when you live somewhere like they're your go-to's you know. I've never been to Ellis Island. My fucking grandfather came through Ellis Island. Oh, wow. I lived within, I saw Ellis Island from the train every day for 10 years. I've never been there. I've wow. never been to the top of the Empire State Building. And you're, you're in to, Vermont now, correct? No, no. I'm in the Hudson Valley. Okay. I just spend, you probably think I'm in Vermont because I'm always up there on my motorcycle. Oh, now. okay. So you yeah. probably look at Instagram like you yeah. moved to Vermont, which yeah. is a fair, <laughs> fair conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, I, I had this crazy night out in Nashville. And in the, the next morning, my buddy Andy, who's a, a crazy like Australian record producer who like goes to Burning Man, like that guy, right? Yeah. And, like, and then there's me, who's like hipster cowboy hat. And I'm just so <laughs> drunk and on things I'm not sure what I put in my body that night. I just went into this hotel in the morning with Andy at like 9.30 a.m. Because he heard about this crazy coffee you can get there with like tonic water and an orange slice and mm. some sort of... You ever have one of those tonic coffee things? No, no. Uh, no. They take soda water. I didn't either. They put like quinine in from like some lab in the backwoods of you know, like I don't know where it comes from. Like it's like <laughs> they, they don't even use tonic water. They have to make that. Then they put the espresso and then they put an orange slice on it. And and you think like this is 
And of course, Andy, he's always making some concoction. It's like, oh, it's got goji berries and 45 <laughs> cents. And like, and and he's like, you got to try this. And so I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I wandered into the little shop next door because there were beautiful things in there. And I was just looking at like, I don't know, like $700 suitcases and, you know, <laughs> bracelets for women and and a scarf. And, and I look and there's a case of vintage Rolex. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And I just walked up and I was like, uh, that date just right there. Can I see that? And long story short, Andy had been paid in cash for this <laughs> job he had done because um, it's the music industry. Like, yeah. God knows. He's like, oh, it's paying cash. You, might, you know, it's like that. So I was like, he's like, oh, let's unload some of that cash. So I, we walk in. It's 930 in the morning. We reek of God knows what. We look like we just came from Burning Man or Woodstock. And I just bought a Rolex in cash. Like, I hardly even looked at the thing. I was like, it's so beautiful. I'll just take it. Thanks. And I got a really good deal. Like, I don't want to blow up the, wa the, the watch <laughs> space in Nashville, but like, those are not New York prices down there, my friends. Oh yeah. my God. I literally, I shit you not, that watch, the exact same watch in not even as nice a condition would have been $2,000 more than what I paid for it in New York City. Probably. Yeah. So I saw the price in the watch. I'm like, I don't I don't care if it runs, I'll pay and get a service. <laughs> yeah. But it's per it's perfect. It's yeah. like really gorgeous little 1972-1603. So that's got the steel bezel that's all uh, uh, engine turned instead mm -hmm. of gold. And okay. it's just silver dial. That's about as straight up of a date just you can get. I love that. So I don't know. It's funny. Like I love crazy wild things. Like mm -hmm. I have this amazing talker chronograph that's in green camouflage hydro oh, dip yeah. <laughs> with a green fume dial. Yes. And it's like... You know, if you don't have a boat anchor, you could, you know, it's a big watch. It's like real serious watch, but it's beautifully made. And mm -hmm. I just love wearing that, you know. So I have kind of weird things like off mm -hmm. to the side. And I love doxas because they're just so ugly. And like, I just, <laughs> they're so amazing. You know, there's, yeah, they're so cool, right? So I, I don't know. My tastes are weird, but like they're either really, really, really normal. Like I like the Patek Philippe Calatrava and the Datejust, like the most boring answer to that question. And then I like these weird things. I yeah. have a thing for yacht timers because they have a lot of circles. I like those too. Yeah. I have no, I would have no use for it ever, but I just, I, I think they're the coolest things. They're so cool. I mean, yeah. but that's, but right. Like, like, I mean, I do scuba dive, but like 90% of people that use these, own these watches don't do the thing. Yeah. No. How many people own a moon watch? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how many people gone to the moon? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. For the idea of, and that actually leads into this other watch we're going to talk about in some ways. But it's 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 funny because I I I find that um you know there's these uh, yacht timers that they often have like because it's ten minutes starting gun. Yeah. They often have some chronograph function that you. My job on a sailboat as a kid was to hit the stopwatch. Okay. And tell everybody when it was time when to was try time. and cross the yeah. line. It's a hell of a thing, a racing start of a sailboat race. Because you have these big things. I mean, we used to crash into each other and stuff. Yeah, like, it seems so chaotic for no reason. Like, insane. Yeah, and it's like a half million dollar toy. And you're yeah. like, oh, sorry, Bob. You know, like, <laughs> That'll buff out. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of like fine. that. There's a lot of swearing and like... If you want to find out if your family functions or not, just try and sail together. It's like, <laughs> holy shit. Like, we didn't really function. I was like in the back. I'm like, five more minutes. So like, shut up. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, <laughs> but I had the little watch. And and those timer things, I, anyways, I like it because it looks like a bunch of red balloons. Yeah. yeah. It's just so pretty. They and, make and you that's, happy. Mm -hmm. They make me happy. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the thing. I, I, I love that about watches. Like, no, I don't race sailboats. And 
anymore. And I, I don't need a watch a yacht timer, but there's like little red balloons on it. That's what I mean about like what pulls you into a watch mm-hmm. can be so random and so mm-hmm. sort of senseless that I don't even think a lot of people are totally honest about how sort of like off and left field and weird some of their attractions can be. Yeah. Like yeah. if you're really, people are really honest and you really push them about what they like about a watch, they'll be like, I don't know. Well, a lot of people don't you know. A lot of people they don't, don't know. know. They're 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 waiting to be told what, what they, they should like, like. and yeah. that's the problem. It's like, is that our job? Is our job to tell people? No, no, no. I hope it's well, not. I get very nervous when people say they bought something because we talked. I about know it. I'm it like, it, it breaks my heart. Yeah, yeah, and it's a lot of pressure. I know. I hate that feeling, oh, but God. I also like it. I also like it because I feel like. Ultimately, it's their decision, right? And yeah, if right. I've turned, and I got to say, like, watch journalists have been turning me on to various watches yeah. that I didn't have access to for 30 years or however long I've been reading the rags. And I have to say that when I write about them, I, I really feel like it's my responsibility to present the watch with two things in my writing. One is my entirely subjective take mm-hmm. so that that's just done. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to try and bury it or hide it or leave it in the background because it's going to seep up. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to come through your writing. You're going to find it between the lines. So why don't you just get that up front? And mm-hmm. I always do that. Now, a lot of the magazines I write for are like, we don't do first person. We don't want what you think. We you know, we don't care about your take on it. But that's why Beyond the Dial is fun because I can do whatever I want. And so yeah. I'm like, I begin a lot of my reviews with like, I fucking hate this watch. It's <laughs> ugly. It makes me want to vomit. Okay, now let's get that out of the way. Yeah. I'm a professional. I can still tell you about the watch. Okay, yeah. it's made of steel and it's got this shape and it fits like this and it does this and I'm still going to vomit all over my shoes when <laughs> I put it on, but that's irrelevant. And I've turned people onto watches that I don't necessarily feel turned on by. And that's, yeah. in my mind, that's successful reporting because you. I was trained as sort of an anthropologist and you're sort of, in the 90s, you were taught, especially as a white male heterosexual privileged guy, you were taught... Tell them all about your biases right up front. I mean, it was like a mandate of of academia at the time, mm. at least the sort of left-leaning leaning Marxist stuff that I was doing. And it was like, okay, so here's my biases right up front. And now we're going to talk about the thing I'm writing about, right? Yeah. Because what you ended up with otherwise is a bunch of privileged people writing about underprivileged people. And that's, they got it all wrong yeah. Yeah. because of their biases, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I've tried to um, bring that into my watch writing a bit and just say, here's what I think. And now that you know what I think, let's talk about the thing a little more objectively if we can. Mm-hmm. You know, So it is, again, that subjectivity is so important. Like, get it out there. And I see people doing that now. I see James Stacy doing that a lot. I love his stuff because he's really good at being like, he's has such a sort of off-the-cuff kind of casual way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I can't think of an example, but he said, you know, when I think of James Stacy doing that, he's like, you wouldn't catch me on a Saturday wearing this in a dark closet or something. Like he can just mm-hmm. be so funny about it. You yeah. know, he'll just yeah. say like, this is the last thing I would ever choose, but, and then he writes about it because he's a mm-hmm. pro, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so I think, I think that's sort of the thing. So I've actually felt good about some of the people I've turned on to watches. What yeah. does make me uncomfortable is when I'm like, oh my gosh, I just had, you know, sex with this watch and I'm in love. <laughs> And someone's like, I want to have sex with that watch and be in love. I'm like, oh, but you don't know that because yeah. I like yeah, it, you yeah, would yeah, like yeah. it. That's exactly. not the basis. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm like, just 
have coffee with the watch. Don't have sex with it. Like just <laughs> go on a date first. Get to first. know it a little bit. Okay. Don't go buying it. Yeah. <laughs> go try it on. Go date for a little while. Then date around. Date some other options. Yeah. And then figure out what you want to spend long term <laughs> with. What you want to give it up for. Yes. It, thank you. Because, you know, I love it. You're, who are you going to give it up for? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who are you going to blow your watch for Jimmy? <laughs> Oh God! Of course, uh, here comes the innuendo. Help it. Well, let's let's talk about this watch before we uh, we. We'll, I mean, we could chat for hours. I feel like, but yeah. um, <laughs> we will, and we're gonna dance for hours. We are. Oh, we yeah, are. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Whenever I want to go dancing with you guys, like, watch <laughs> dancing. Like you got to meet up down there or something. We'll have it at that place. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's, yeah. Get all the like cool watches in Nashville doing disco. Yeah. Like bring your auto winders because you're gonna be swinging <laughs> your arm, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Make sure that's shock resistant. Don't bring anything vintage. Yeah. There you go. Better be waterproof. Better be waterproof. I do not go downtown with a watch that is not waterproof. Like, right? That's you, hilarious. I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I've had Jeez. quite a few drinks spilled on me. So oh, like, oh, yes. I yes, need. Yes. I need my watch. To sweating survive. and all of this oh, stuff. The yeah. Sweating. Hot, humid, yeah. and yeah. It's, Oh gosh. <laughs> this um, is the content people come for. <laughs> oh my God, it's raining. I can't be outside with my patat. I know. <laughs> God, for, my, not my Speedmaster. That 50 meter water resistance would never handle the never, rain. Never. What's with the Speedmaster and the water resistance? Like, modernize that shit. Let me go swimming in that thing. <laughs> right? You can swim in it. You can swim in it at 50 meter water resistance. It's okay. Just don't operate the pushers while you're in the okay. pool. The end. Uh, Catelyn, <laughs> I got a question for you. He was trying to figure out real quick, like, which one when is When you <laughs> swim, do you ever jump off high things, tuck your knees up onto your chest, grab your legs, and smash into the water? I am a yes. girl. I am a girl. When I swim, girl, sorry, all right, I, I, I'm the girl. So when I'm at the pool or the beach, I lay out all day to get a tan, and I get in the water casually, just real easy. I go right. to the stairs, I walk into the water, and I just chill. Like that—that's my pool experience. Okay, you see, you're right. You're a girl. That's not what I do. I'm swimming. I'm like, where's the highest thing? There's a rope swing way up on that cliff. Give me that speedmaster. I'm gonna do a cannonball. No, don't do a cannonball. No, you can't I wear a speedmaster. Do a cannonball off a rope swing. But you don't you have? You have that? like eight thousand other watches. Let's be clear. Not, not nobody has just a speedmaster. You have a speedmaster. You have at least. I don't AG even have shock, a speedmaster. But you have at least I can't AG shock. Do a cannonball in it. But you have eight thousand other watches. You can do a cannonball in. Yeah, okay, but So but why don't you same- just wear that watch to the to the pool? Well, why is my nineteen seventy two date just got better waterproofness than a modern? I bet Omega? it doesn't if you <laughs> I bet well, those seals I bet those seals are worn the hell out. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I'm not gonna do cannonball. Go, go crack, for it. You know what? Why don't you do a cannonball on that? I'll do a cannonball on the speedmaster and we'll see which watch survives better. You are on. Are you serious? <laughs> Yes. I Let's bought it in it. Nashville and I ruined it. <laughs> Let's do it. We'll find a pool. It's going you down. On. It's going down. I'm going to start researching swimming holes outside Nashville right <laughs> yes. now. Let's yes. do it. Oh, we're going to have so much fun. If they would just get vaccinated, we could have I know. a lot of fun. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so are we going to dance before or after the cannonballs? In well, the it has to be like before and then there has to be some time to get ready, obviously. <laughs> I, I don't feel like after with with oh, yeah, alcohol right. is a very responsible ad- adult thing to do. 
I still try to be like a mom and I'm like, no, guys, like, let's survive. So (laughs) maybe we do that. We eat a big meal. We get we load up on some carbs, you know, make sure that we can handle the amount of dancing and alcohol that will be in our system. (laughs) Well, you really are a mom. That's I, awesome. I, I plan these things. I'm like, no, y'all. Like, I gotta I'm, say, the like the likelihood of me doing a cannonball off a cliff with my day just on is a lot higher if we go out dancing and partying. Before. <laughs> <Yeah>. Just so you know. Maybe we don't have to do. Maybe we just find a hotel like with a pool. Like, get us a rooftop swimming pool. Like, we don't have to go to a quarry. All that. Like, we can do it all right there, and then you can change right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. done. Because yeah. you're right. I hadn't really thought about like you know how about my hair my hair i have a lot of hair like none i gotta at least style it before i ruin it sweating and dancing all over the place (laughs) you're right you're right this is gonna be an amazing day an amazing day it's gonna be a very long day i'm all right that's serious like let's do it i'm so excited about i will bring your bring your rolex i'm gonna wear my speedmaster i'll just get a hat i'll just get a hazmat suit and ride down there there you go (laughs) <laughs> just go out in a hazmat suit it's fine it's fine it's not the strangest thing I, I've seen down here so <laughs> it really wouldn't be the most unusual outfit on Broadway if no. we're being honest not at all alright yeah watch it watch it <laughs> oh yeah right I have a bad habit of getting off the watch topic well we, we do too we do too so. we go on these tangents sometimes it's fine um, no you, you've got a new watch coming out um, the Alstom Motoscape. And I want to hear about it because this thing looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we talked about your love for motorsport during this episode, but you you have, how many motorcycles do you have? I currently own three. Okay. And I've been a motorcyclist for a long time. I think as a really small child, I aspired to be Evil Knievel and or Fonzie. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Seems, yeah. Yeah, reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it was the 70s. That was what you did. I mean, I, I actually walked up to my mom at one point. I, I'll never forget it because she was sleeping on the couch. And I walked up like in the afternoon and I walked up and I said, Mom, I've changed my name to Fonzie. Oh, God. Oh. And she said, okay, honey. But I was embarrassed of this. So I said, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> so even and you she, knew that was a bad idea. She Later in life, she'd tell that story. She's like, I wondered about you at that point. She's like, why would you change your name, but you don't tell anyone and keep using Alan? What was that? And I was like, well, it was just, you know, I just wanted to be Fonzie. But I've been yeah. into motorcycles for a long time. Um, I started riding like as soon as I was old enough to get a license, much to my mother's chagrin, of course. <laughs> um, and it's... I, I can't seem to do anything unless I'm really enjoying it and totally engaged in all five senses. Like yeah. if I'm going to drive down the highway, I've got to have an experience. Like there's mm-hmm. not just, I don't just go to the grocery store. I want to drive a Porsche to the grocery store and go off the side of a road and <laughs> swing the back end out and then pull up and buy some milk. You know, like that's yeah. how I like to go do stuff. So motorcycling is like instant adventure, no matter where yeah. you're going or what you're doing. And I've just always totally loved it. And I've been a two-wheel kind of addict since I was tiny. Like as soon as I got on two wheels, I was addicted, like addicted, addicted. Like I even raced bicycles uh, in my 20s, like competitively. Like that's my Italian racing license on the wall back there. Like I was really into two wheels. Like 
I really into two wheels. Like I can't even explain how much I'm into two wheels. It's just something about it. And so, yeah, I still ride. I've got a Moto Guzzi, a Ducati and a BMW travel bike right now. So Very cool. they're wonderful bikes. So this watch is a motorcycle watch. And it was mm-hmm. one of these things where I was posting pictures on Instagram of my bikes with different uh, watches. I hadn't had a bike in a while because I lived in New York City and owning a vehicle is kind of pointless. And yeah. so I, when I moved up to the Hudson Valley, first thing I did was bought a vintage BMW. Then I bought a vintage Mercedes and I bought a motorcycle and I bought this and I bought that. I was like, oh my God, cars and bikes. and all. <laughs> Space. Shelly, yeah, one for every day of the week. <laughs> at one point we had four cars and none of them worked. And <laughs> Shelly just was like, fuck you, I'm going to the Kia dealership and leasing a modern vehicle. And so... I sold all four cars and put all that money into uh, my bikes because they're not like the Ducati is kind of expensive and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's what I did. And um, I started putting pictures of these bikes on Instagram and I like one side is the bike and the other part's a watch. So it was yeah. like my super cool Ducati with a carbon fiber Panerai, you know, uh, what do they call that? Rosso, Oro Rosso, Rosso, whatever the carbon tech. Yeah. A Luna Rosso. Oh, yeah. The red yeah. moon. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, they look, when you put those next to each other, they look amazing. And I was trying to write that up for a publication, but we couldn't get the watch and they're kind of hard to get. And um, and I was putting up all these different pairings. Like I kept matching this to that. And I bought a Nomos that looked just like my Ducati. And oh, yeah, I, I sold the Ducati. So, you remember that? <laughs> yeah. So you remember these? Anyone who followed me would have been like, God, this guy is really having a hard time finding the right watch to go with his motorcycle. And so... um. Angus, who runs Alsta Watches, wrote to me and said, I love all this motorcycle stuff that you're doing. It's such a cool idea for a motorcycle watch. And I was like, oh my God, somebody gets it. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, don't put, with all due respect, like don't just put Honda on the dial and hawk mm-hmm. it over here. You know, like, yeah. there's, you know, automotive watches and motorcycle watches have, I think you may agree, and it seems like everyone does, like it, it can be a pretty lame thing sometimes right like you get like even if the brands are amazing it's like oh it looks like a dashboard and there's the brand logo Mm -hmm. or oh look a tire tread on the crown or kind of gimmicky like little exactly i would say gimmicky is a good word yeah yeah and i didn't want any of that i wanted a watch that was purpose-built for the sport Mm -hmm. and you know, in my mind, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier, like no one really dives. They just don't dive watches. And I thought a watch for motorcycling can be just as compelling as a dive watch. Yeah. And it just has to be kind of tweaked a little bit to be specific for that sport. And it's not like I've revolutionized watches, but I can just to give the listeners a, a sense of it. And the watch will be out when this airs so they can go look at it online and stuff. But the Alsta Motoscape is the Nautiscape model, which is a dive watch. And kind of an awesome dive watch with a skin diver case and, you know, the stuff that dive watches have. Yeah. And I started with that and I did a number of things to it. I couldn't do everything I wanted to do to it for various reasons. But um, first of all, I replaced the bezel with a 12-hour bi-directional bezel. Okay. And so rather than a timing bezel, which is somewhat useless on a motorcycle, I can now track hours in the saddle. You'd be surprised like how you... Like my brother is good at that. He's like, we need to pull over and just rest. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like if you don't and you're a little older like we are, it can be like you lose focus. And if you lose focus, you yeah. can die. And if you yeah. die, you can't ride motorcycles. So that's no good. And well, so, that's interesting, yeah. You know, things like that. And then you can time minutes with it, just multiply by five, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can track second time zones. So I thought, well, it's 12-hour bezels are rad. 
And that makes more sense on a motorcycle to me. Yeah. Um, and is actually somewhat useful. And then mm-hmm. um, bi-directional because if you want to actually set the thing while you're on the bike, or even if you're just standing there with gloves on or it's jammed in your jacket and all that, it's yeah. much easier if it's bi-directional mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. One, you can usually just turn it a little bit in the direction you need to go instead of going all the way around. And then the other thing with a with a with a unidirectional timing bezel is that if you overshoot the mark and everyone does, you gotta go yep. all the way, all around the way again. back around. Which, you know, talk about like lame problems to be complaining <laughs> about. But how many times have I made my morning eggs and gone, I can't believe I have to turn, you know, before coffee, like I yeah. have to turn the bezel all the way around again. <laughs> but I'm the guy who's like pissed if I have to hit the brakes with the cruise control on. I'm like, oh God, I have to Oh move my gosh, my foot. I'm same. I'm same. Right? We're lazy motherfuckers. That's <laughs> yes, what humans yeah. are. Yeah. But we're we're meant to be. We're like, what's the least expenditure of calories for the maximum output? That's like what we're made to do. So it makes sense. So anyways, that's the bezel. And the other thing I did, and I stole this idea from a Paul Smith watch. You know, Paul Smith is the designer from England. He designs dude stuff. So you know, he does do girl stuff, but he's a British designer. He's sort of a contemporary of like Lillian Westwood, sort of a punk Okay. Um, And so he sort of blended, I guess you would say he blended like mod punk and the royal family. Interesting. And there, which is actually actually a really cool look. Yeah. And anyways, I got sort of obsessed with Paul Smith and I was working in London years ago with this band and I, we'd finished this big project and it went well and I was excited and I went out and bought, I I didn't know what to do. And I had a couple of days in London. So I was like, I'm just going to go to every Paul Smith store. And there's six of them because I'm going to assume the Paul Smith stores are in a really cool place to go look at stuff. Yeah. And they really are. That's not a, you know, just like go to every Gucci outlet or whatever in London and you're going to wind up in the cool spots. Right. So, so this is what I did. And I bought this watch that had the, it was a bicycling watch and it had the, this is the Paul Smith watch and it had the crown on the other side. Okay. So do I have that the right way? Yeah. So the crown is flipped. So we flip the case over and the crown is like a left-handed watch. Mm -hmm. But that's because it doesn't dig into your wrist when your hand's on the grips. Yeah. Makes sense. Sounds like it does. And it sounds like a small thing, but it depends on the watch. But if I'm wearing a watch with a bracelet that slides down and I have my hand on, it actually bugs me and hurts. Yeah. yeah, Your hand is always in that position. So, I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's... It's it's not always really right, cocked like that, but, but it depends on the bike and some bikes it is. And it's when the watch slides down and you're riding. And it's a funny thing with motorcycling, but anything, any sensation you're having, any, a sound, a sight, um, a feeling, an, an irritation of the skin. Mm-hmm. When you're riding a fast bike like my Ducati and you're riding it fast, that tiny little thing can be enough to send you into a cornfield. Really? Like it's it's really a thing like, like motorcycle racers talk about this. Like they wear earplugs and they're basically, if they could be in a sensory deprivation tank and just focus on what they're doing with the controls, yeah. they would, because you've, you've played video games. I'm sure like, it's mm-hmm. like a video game. And you're like, blah, 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 blah. but the difference is that your life is in, yeah. you know? And so if you ever played a video game and like the phone rings, you're like, shit, I fucked up. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. you get distracted just, and on a motorcycle, it can happen in a split second. So the, the that it's funny, but it, I'm not trying to make it sound like a bigger deal than it is because really we flip the case over and that's all it is. But that actually makes a difference. Yeah. And it makes it different. It makes it cool, right? So it's part of it. Um, we were going to drill the lugs because I think drilled lugs are so handy and awesome for strap changing fools, mm-hmm. right? And we actually had one of them drilled. And you learn a lot 
when you start to get into design, but well, the lugs sort of slope down toward the outside of the case. So the holes in the right spot on the inside, but you drill through and the hole kind of comes out right near the top edge of the case and it oh, wasn't right. Yeah. So we, anyone who got the press release saying drilled lugs, I retract that. There's no drilled lugs anymore, but we wanted to, um, it, the intention was drilled lugs. Um, and I made the dial like ultra legible. So I took mm-hmm. away the date window, um, and took away all the numerals and put markers on. And it's, we have like this really great super luminova in blue that Ooh, really jumps. Oh, nice. It's really cool. Yeah, the loom is awesome. And at night, this watch really lights up. And then the other thing about motorcycling and watches is that, you know, I've been thinking about this for 30 years of riding and being into watches is that Like if I wear my Cartier tank on my bike, it's great because it's really thin and it doesn't mess with my gloves and my jacket, which are like armor, Mm -hmm. literally. Like that's not an exaggeration. There's armor. Mm -hmm. And when you're riding, if you have that little watch on, it just kind of disappears, but it's totally useless. Even at a gas station, I'm like, where the hell is my tank? I can't even find it. It's like yeah. in yeah. there somewhere. Whereas if I have a big watch on, like that talker I was talking about, or this is a pretty chunky dive watch, it's mm-hmm. 40 millimeters, but it's got some heft to it. Yeah. Because skin diver case, you know, it's yeah. a lot of metal. It actually pokes up through and you can kind of get your glove and your jacket to wrap around it. And the mm-hmm. watch face sort of sits in there. And so actually a chunky watch is really handy and, and turns out to be my preference because I can actually look down and see it you know, yeah, when I'm on cool. bike and that kind of thing. So those are some of the features. And then we did a black rally strap, which is perforated because I don't know if there's anything more motorcycly than perforated black leather. That's, <laughs> that's what they legit. wear. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It's what we wear. And it's really cool. And the strap is really thick. I love how thick it is. And it tapers, not just the normal taper from the side, but actually it's really thick up by the lugs and gets thinner. And it sort of, it, it's not like an integrated bracelet, but it fits in there almost like when it fills yeah. up. You know, when you, you get a big chunky case, like even my Grand Seiko is like that. If I put a strap on it, it's like there's some leather inside the Grand Canyon of my lugs. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, the Grand Seiko just sucks for, yeah. Yeah. for straps. This particular case that I have anyways. Um, I love so, I love the lugs on this thing. Like I, I'm a sucker for like these squared off lugs. Yeah. And uh I don't know, aesthetically, I just, I'm always drawn to them. Yeah, it's fun. And then sort of the the rest of it's more playful and sort of to the spirit of motorcycling. So that's just sort of the functional things we did, right? So the bezel, bi-directionality. Um, by the way, it's sort of a cool story, but to get the bezel to be bi-directional, we had to take it off and modify it. Oh, and really? we actually did that here in the States. We shipped them all over here and I brought them to the watchmaker I used down in Connecticut. And He's Italian and he rides motorcycles. <laughs> and he was like, I will fix this for you. It was like, <laughs> thank you. And he's so cool. Like the, day, the first day I went there with my Ducati, I walked in with my helmet and my leathers and stuff. He's like, what kind of a bike? And I said, it's a Ducati. He said, no. <laughs> and I said, do you want to take it for a spin? He's like, yes. He, t- he grabbed the key. I'm like, you want a jacket? He's like, fuck the jacket. He oh, the helmet on. <laughs> There's no helmet law. And this is Italian. This is why I love Italy. It's like racing in Italy was like this. It was just like everything's nuts all the time. And so he's gone. And I just, I just, I watch him and he, and he pulls out and no helmet, t shirt, you know, like sneakers. And he just on a 155 horsepower Ducati just does a wheelie up the road. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Like I can't even do a wheelie up the road like that. And and, and you can hear the bike and it's like, wee, 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 
it's like, I'm like, oh my God, you can all, it's like, he's over there and now he's hauling ass. Like, <laughs> you can hear the bike and how fast he was going. He came back and he said, you've made my day. God, thank you. Aww. And I totally know what he meant. I know what he meant. And so that's when it came time to get this work done, I was like, he's got to be the one to do it. I love that part of this. Um, but then what I was saying is that the, the spirit of cycling is captured on the dial. So I don't know if you guys can see in the press release that I mm -hmm. sent you, but on the dial, I'm kind of dicking around with Rolex a little bit here because yeah. it's sort of like a red sub. So Motoscape is in red. I love that. This is the text above six o'clock. Yeah. So like the logo also is up by 12 and the text is three lines down by six. Um, and the first one says Motoscape in that red color. So it's sort of like a red sub because for whatever reason, that little bit of red just sends tingles up a man's spine. And I don't know why, but <laughs> my God, it's like the only color. And you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. I why is that so compelling? I would love to figure that out. Like, yeah. It's almost a universal thing. Like, oh my God, a red sub. Yeah. Like it's one word is red and that's like everyone's freaking. But anyways, the second line says shock resistant because that's what was on the original Nautiscape. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Motoscape is a play on Nautiscape, right? And then uh, the last line said, can you read it? Because I can never remember the numbers. Yeah, it says, uh, yeah. 178. Is it 178? Uh, one seventy six feet equals five fifty three point six meters per second. Okay, so that would normally be the depth rating, mm -hmm. but that that equation works out to one hundred and twenty miles an hour. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, that's cute. So this wow. watch is rate rated for one hundred and twenty miles an hour. The reason it's rated for one hundred and twenty miles an hour is that when you go that fast on a motorcycle, you are prone to a spiritual experience. Oh. And you're prone to it because your senses can't keep up with the inputs coming from reality around you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you do this out in the desert, it doesn't happen as much. But if you do it around where I live, where there's just canopies of trees everywhere and shadows, mm -hmm. your perception of space curves because your visual, like, it's like yeah. you can't get yeah. the frame rate fast enough and it starts to curve. And also you kind of go into a quasi panic. Mm. I shouldn't say that. I should say it's not really, it's, it's an adrenalized response that slows time down. And so they call this relativistic effects in psychology. Oh, and wow. so I, I, I looked into this because Angus from also is like, well, can you find out about this 120 mile per hour thing? Like, is that really a thing? And I was like, it's a thing. Everyone talks about it. You go 120 and you get, you know, tunnel vision and all the, all the kids are like, I got tunnel vision. And they're like, it's like, yeah. And I smoked weed. It's like, yeah, yeah. you get high off of this. It's like yeah. really, this amazing experience when you, especially if you're on a sport bike and you're mm -hmm. leaned out and you're not seeing the bike, it's just like flying. It really is like flying. That's You crazy. just have to fly three feet above the ground, which is even cooler actually. And so <laughs> that feeling of going 120, not that I would ever go 120 on a motorcycle. Oh no, no. never. Um, <laughs> is, it's so powerful and wonderful. And also my colleague, David Flett at Beyond the Dial, um, who is a, uh, he owns like an old Ferrari and he's a, he's a much, 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 much faster, better driver than I'll ever be. And he, he and I were talking about it at one point and he was like, Oh no, it's, it's around 120. Something really cool happens. And he didn't really have a name for it, but he knew it as a car driver. And I was yeah. like, yeah, something, what is it? So it's the Motoscape 120 in honor of that. And my favorite part about this is that if you read Hunter S. Thompson, the famous Southern journalist, Kentucky boy, yeah. um, he writes about, going faster and faster up through the gears. And as you get to the top of those gears, I mean, let's be clear, Hunter S. Thompson probably had a head full of acid and was out in front of a bunch of <laughs> Hell's Angels. 100%. Like, 
in the rain on the PC one out in California, but he, he writes and he says, and then you get up into sixth gear and you pop it open. And that's when the strange music starts. Yeah. And that's what he's, everyone's pointing to the same thing, which is like, there's this thing that happens. He calls it the strange music and that's perfect. Like that's, if, if you don't ride motorcycles, you've never gone that fast flying across the ground at three feet above the pavement. That it's like there's a strange music that begins, and you're just like, oh, I'm in another place. Yeah, and you know, I think it's a little bit like scuba diving. Actually, it's like this. Oh my gosh, I'm in another reality, and I'm weightless, and I've everything looks different. I'm not even supposed to be here. This shouldn't <laughs> be happening, and I'm having an experience that's for me really emotional and spiritual. When I scuba dive, I'm really like. I don't know. Am I back to the primordial soup or am I just in love with turtles? I have no idea, but it's like so emotional to be in that environment experiencing this other thing you're not supposed to experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've even heard that Buzz Aldrin said that scuba diving is the closest anyone will ever come to being in space. Oh, wow. And I think motorcycling that fast on the right bike, on the right road, in the right moment and racing is equally as out of body, out of mind. Like yeah. it's it's a unique experience. It's oh, not something I can't we're imagine. supposed to. Yeah, think. that sounds insane. Well, when I come down there, <laughs> <laughs> after we jump off the quarry cliff and go ingest whatever at the dance club, we'll hit the motorcycles. Right? <laughs> you guys are like, oh god, I hate like, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out now. I'm, I'm. <laughs> it's gonna be a very long night. Need lots of coffee. Like it's it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and I'm like ready for my afternoon coffee. <laughs> so it's going to be, it's going to be a long night. Sounds like. Okay. Well, but I'm down for the motorcycles yeah. as long as we're sober down. Yeah. So that's the Austin Motorscape in a nutshell. I'm super yeah. excited about it. And it is a collaboration with Beyond the Dial. So mm-hmm. our logo, not our logo actually, but just our sort of catchphrase, the aesthetic revolution will be beautiful. And our name is sort of subtly on the outside of the case back mm-hmm. and then the and you know, I didn't want to do that over branded thing that I, mm-hmm. I get a lot of collab watches and I'm like, it'd be really cool if the publications logo wasn't across the <laughs> case window or, you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. it's a little, or Hodinkee on the dial. It's like, yeah, okay, there's a mag, it's a magazine watch, I guess, or something. I didn't want it to be overly, I wanted it, I, I wanted beyond the dial to be part of this watch and mm-hmm. it is, but yeah. I didn't want it to visually be too impactful. This is an yeah. Ulsta. Yeah, this is an Alsta watch, and I have to say it was really fun to get into the design. You know, that was a cool experience. Well, it's a it's a great looking piece. We're looking forward to uh, to going hands on with it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Cool. Yeah, I I think it'll be fun for you guys to check it out and see what you think. It's it's an interesting watch to wear because it's uh, psychologically for me it's a trip because it's like. I've never had a hand in I mean, we all change straps and have a hand in it mm-hmm. somewhat, but this was like, imagine if you could change your markers and you turn the date window on and off and play with the bezel type. And, yeah. you know, it's, it sort of suggests a possibility for modular watches that would be really fun, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get five bezels and you get, you know, I think there's some things like that out there. There's a cool brand out of France called Hajid, H-E-G-I-D, which is doing modular watches. They're really nicely done. Nice. Yeah, but I'll the idea that... that you kind of stick the head inside the case. That's their idea of modularity, mm. but it's kind of fun because like you can, oh, it's a dive watch and you pull the head out and like, oh, it's a dress watch or, oh, it's oh, a wow. weird skin diver thing. And they even have some really weird kind of like bizarre architectural cases and stuff with holes in them and stuff. Very a really cool. interesting idea, right? Yeah. So it was, it's interesting to put the watch on and like, wow, I had some say over this. I bet but that's my a special sen- feeling. Yeah. It is. It's a, I don't, 
seem to think about it when I wear it. I'm just like, wow, this watch is cool, which I think is a good sign. I can tell yeah. you somebody who made a lot of records, like if you hear the record and you don't think about yourself, then something's right. That's good. If it's just, it exists out there. It's like this thing out there that exists and you're not self-conscious about it. It's just there, which is kind of a rare place to get to when you create something. Mm -hmm. And and not be like super critical, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. And you're not self-conscious and weirded Mm -hmm. out by it. And as soon as the actual prototype arrived, I hit that place because I was actually really nervous. I'm like, what if it sucks? I don't know. Is it going to be okay? And Angus had sent me a photo, but it was just like an, like, iPhone photo casually in his office. So it didn't really capture everything. And I was like, oh, you know, you're kind of trying to, it's like a horrible way to assess something. (laughs) So I had to wait a week or something. I was like, I hope it's good. And when I opened the box, I was like, yeah. I like literally was like (laughs) arms in the air, like, yes, it's super cool. And like, since then I've just been super happy with it. So that's awesome. um, Yeah. and, And a great relief. Yeah, yeah, have reservations about how it came out. I really, really like it. And I've been wearing it around. I'll be honest. I've been wearing the hell out of it on the bike. And we went up to Maine and I wore it the whole time I was in Maine just to see what it was like. So like a week of motorcycling and going up the mountains and doing all there this stuff. Go. And I was like, it's really good. It's it, a really good watch for motorcycling and all the little features, the little things, mm-hmm. they, 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 they matter a little bit. Well, you, you know, put they a lot, matter you put as a lot much of thought into it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I've been thinking about it for like 30 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, Just thought yeah. about it once or twice. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, but, but I did put a lot of thought into it. It's, yeah. fu- it's a really fun thing. And I, I, like I was started out saying, it's not, it's a motorcycling watch. Mm-hmm. It's not about a specific bike or a brand of bike. It's not fetishizing some thing out there. It's, it's really trying to make, celebrate and, and, and be a part of, motorcycling, the experience yeah. of it. But I, I do I do feel like, you know, just like I own pilot's watches and I couldn't fly a plane to save my life, unfortunately. And I own, you know, we all own things that, yeah. you yeah. know, I don't know, you guys have dive watches and we were talking about this, right? Like yeah. Yeah. everyone's got the moon watch or this thing can go to the bottom of the ocean. And, you know, like I had the Rolex Deep Sea for a while and it was like, why why, why do I own this exactly? Because it's <laughs> Cause awesome. It cool. And I feel like, so that's yeah, it, yeah, and I feel like even if you're not into motorcycling, it's like yeah. this is a cool watch. It's, it's still a dive cool watch, watch yeah. effectively, you know, and and it can play all kinds of roles in people's lives. So it's a fun watch. I think it's really um, attractive, and for me, that's important too. I, I just like I like the way it looks. It's very sort of it's almost got a little bit of a Moser Pioneer vibe to it. In it a does, way. yeah, yeah I could see that. You know, like just the way the markers are, and it's mm-hmm. very elemental, and no yeah. numbers, and no date, and just kind of stripped down, and it's I black love that. and white. And, yeah, yeah cool. it's super clean. Like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on and for sharing your story and for sharing this watch with us. We're we're super thankful. And um, before we let you go, where where can our listeners find you at? I know you have the podcast, but um, are you writing anywhere else right now? Yeah, beyondthedial.com is sort mm-hmm. of home base for Alan okay. Farmello. Um, and then on Instagram, we don't do Facebook because of hashtag Fuckerberg and stuff like that. <laughs> is, is swearing okay on your show? Yes, it show, is. So. Yes, it is. We, we, quit, we quit trying to be, uh, I guess, goody two-shoes a while ago. Yeah, yeah that, you know, at Warren and Wild, they don't swear. And it was like, I remember Ilya being like, it's so hard to edit your shit, dude. <laughs> I was like, why the fuck is it so hard to edit my shit? You know? <laughs> anyways, swearing. Like, oh, I'm 51. I can finally swear and don't get in trouble. But anyways, it's it's just like, um, it's interesting how the, 
website has kind of grown into this thing because we have, I have four partners at yeah. the, the dot, or well, there's four of us, there's three partners and me, um, and we're all equal owners and managers of it. So it's not just me anymore. Yeah. It was started as a podcast and I'm just slightly older than you guys, I think. <laughs> Because I think I started two years ago in May or something like that. Okay. So, oh, yeah. Then you are. Cool. Yeah. You are. Just slightly. Right around the same time. Yeah. And uh, I started it because I, I kind of missed doing it with uh, Warren and Wound. I liked doing it. And I knew yeah. how to talk, obviously. Yeah, God. And uh, <laughs> I also know how to uh, record stuff and edit it. So you it do. wasn't that yeah. big of a leap for me to do it. So I, I started doing it then. And then about a year later, uh, COVID hit and all of my freelance work, except for really just the Rob report, frankly, it was just kind of dried up. There just weren't budgets. And yeah. so I started Beyond the Dial as a blog for the first time. Mm-hmm. Started doing review because I just wanted to keep going. Like I don't do this because I'm like, it, it's not just a job, right? It's yeah. a real passion for me. So mm-hmm. like not waking up and writing about watches didn't seem right. So I just kept going and then I got other people involved and I've got such a great group, David Flett, um, James Wren and Greg Bedrosian. They're yeah. just, they're super and they're all like super nerds about watches and know, like we all know different things really deeply. So yeah. it's really cool. Like David's a Seiko expert, like vintage Seiko. Like he's really, you know, he works on them. He takes them apart. He collects them. He, he, he's really, he just keeps going. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's like, he's just like going deeper and deeper in that little vein. And James is super into alarm watches and his, his knowledge is vast. Like I don't, James is like, he, know, he knows so much stuff. I'm like, how, how could you not have been into watches? Like, I don't know anything compared to him. And he's been into it for a few years. And I've been into it for a few decades. I'm like, you just embarrass me is what you do. <laughs> and then Greg is the same way. Greg used to write for um, Two Broke Watch Snobs. And he's done some stuff for Gear Patrol lately. Yeah. And I'm I'm doing Gear Patrol on and off. The, the freelance life is kind of returning a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I was doing stuff for watch time. I don't know if... You know, it's hard, it's hard to say with COVID. Yeah. I feel yeah. like we're still coming out of it, right? right? So I don't know. But anyways, I if you really want to know who I am and what I'm doing. Beyond the know, Dial, yeah. God bless you, but go to beyondthedial.com. <laughs> and I'm assuming yeah. that's where people can go to find the watch, correct? Is at Beyond the, the We dial. will have, we, yes, you, we will have a story up there uh, okay. when it comes out and mm-hmm. it'll point you where you need to go. But you can also just go to Alsta's website and find everything you need to find out about it. And they have a number of retailers that'll be selling it. And it's not a limited edition, um, but we don't have a lot of them right now. Uh, actually, also COVID-related production mm-hmm. problems. Right. So they, they'll probably sell pretty quick. And the But they'll be available and ongoingly. So okay. it's not a limited edition. And um, yeah, they have a few retailers, but if you go to Alsta.com, you'll find what you need to find yeah. and you'll be able we'll, to buy it right there. We'll be yeah, sure to link. We'll link everything in the show notes. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Of course. Cool. No, Thanks, this guys. Has been, this yeah. has been such a pleasure, for sure. I, I really appreciate you having me on. I want to, again, like just to be talking to two women at once in the watch space is like... <laughs> Wow, there's actually there's two. There's two like, of us. That's amazing. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> now we got to diversify the names. So I, I know. I know. That's, that's, a, that's a different story. <laughs> to, like to be fair, I used to go by Cat, yeah. and that would have been a lot going on. So I I feel like we diversified enough that I went by my actual name and not my nickname anymore. Oh, you're so sweet. I know. Yeah, someone had to get the nickname. Right? Yeah, somebody had it. Somebody had to have the short version. But yeah, no. You think, know, okay. I have a I, my. Very old dear friend Catlin 
is probably in Tennessee right now, but she she has family in Knoxville. Um, oh, yeah. And she spelled C-A-I-T-L-I-N, which is Caitlin to the rest of the world. Yeah. yeah. Dylan, the poet Dylan Thomas's wife, Catlin, I think she was named after. So it's Catlin. Oh, so hi. when I think of Tennessee, I think of Catlin immediately. That's like the f- Catlin and Gabe. There you go. And that's, yeah. that's the, so when I talk to you guys, I'm like, it's just, if you go to Tennessee, everyone, all the women are named Catlin. <laughs> I've never, I feel like the first time I ever heard the name Catlin, not my name, was in Game of Thrones. I was like, oh shit. There's oh, is there a Catlin in Catlin Game of Thrones? Game I missed Thrones. it. Yes. Dang. The, uh, the mom, don't come at me, Game of Thrones fans. I binge watched it very quickly, so I don't remember anything. But the, the mom of like all the, the people. <laughs> No, oh, oh, the, mat- the matriarch, the mom of all the badass barbarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's I all I got, that guys. Character. That's it. She's a brunette. <laughs> yeah. I, I bitch watched it so quick. So not the dragon lady, but no. the, the, the the other sort of amazing looking gladiator of a woman. Yeah, right? what like, what was their yeah. names? The their last names. I don't remember. The Stark, the Stark mom. It was Cat- Stark. Stark mom. Yes. Oh, Game of Thrones all name- coming through. Oh my God, yes. Do not take me her to Game of Thrones. Her name was Catelyn. Wow. Uh, trivia night. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So. Oh, and there was that barbarian girl, the red hair. So I was like, you don't know anything, John Stark. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> the Starks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, now that we've gotten our, our Game of Thrones knowledge out of the way, guys, be sure to head over to our website, www.tnnand2.com. We'll have no- links to everything that we talked about. Um, and be sure you're following us along on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at 10 and 2 Media. And thank you again for coming on today. It's been such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. You guys are so sweet. Thanks. Awesome. Cool, See cool. you later. <laughs>